Now we're going to commence our uh, Bible reading this morning And we're reading from the book of Revelation uh, Revelation chapter 7 Now we normally would sing a second hymn at this stage But because of the restrictions and the limitations with which we have been allowed to open uh, Therefore uh, we're dispensing with that uh, second hymn and going straight to the Bible reading Revelation chapter 7 And let's read the chapter together Let's hear the word of the Lord Revelation chapter 7 Verse 1. And after these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow in the earth, nor in the sea, nor in any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their forehead. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and they were sealed an hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Of the tribe of Judah were sealed twelve thousand. Of the tribe of Reuben were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Gad were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Asher were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Nephthalim were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Manasseh were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Simeon were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Levi were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Issachar were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Zebulun were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Joseph were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Benjamin were sealed 12,000. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and peoples and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hand, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne in their faces and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honour and power and might be unto our God for ever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, These are they which come out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. Neither shall the sun light in them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them. 
and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now, my text this morning is taken from Revelation chapter 7 and the verse 17. And my theme today is the Lamb in the midst of the throne. Now, there are 350 references to the word midst in the Bible. And the word midst, of course, means the center or means the middle. At least that's how we understand it. And, of course, there's a number of lovely, wonderful references to Christ in the midst. And over past years, we've looked at one or two of these specific references, and I have preached upon it, and you have been blessed and helped. I know we could do a whole series of messages on the theme, Christ in the Midst, and maybe someday we will. But just for today, I want us to look at Revelation 7 and 17. Look at what it says. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of water, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Now, there are 11 references out of that 350 in the book of Revelation to the word midst. And this is actually the seventh reference. So if we looked at the first, Revelation 1, 13, chapter 2, verse 1, and Chapter 2, verse 7, chapter 4, verse 6, chapter 5, verse 6, chapter 6, verse 6, chapter 7, 17 is the seventh reference. And seven, remember, in biblical numerics is the number of perfection. And here, God is giving John a glimpse into what heaven is like. If I link it up with Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And when John looked inside through that open door, what did John see? Well, what John saw, he, he wrote it down in a book. And we're reading it today. And one of the things that caught his attention was the lamb in the midst of the throne. And that's my theme for today. Now, it appears to me that chapter 7 of the book of Revelation is a kind of interlude between the opening of the sixth seal, and you can read about that in chapter 6 and verse 12. It says, And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and though there was a great earthquake. In between that, and the opening of the seventh seal, because the seventh seal is not opened, if you look at chapter 8, verse 1, and when he had opened the seventh seal, you've got to think of the word and and all these uh, conjunctions that are one following on to the other. Um, if chapter 6 closes with the opening of the sixth seal and the unleashing of the great day of the wrath of the Lamb, as it's mentioned in uh, chapter 6, and uh, verse uh, 16 and uh, 17. And the seventh seal is not opened until chapter 8, verse 1. Um, then uh, that actually means that chapter 7 is a kind of parenthesis in between. And I want you to think of the earth 
during this period, the opening of the sixth seal and the opening of the seventh seal, the great day of the wrath of the Lamb has come. And we would think, well, in that day, no one could be saved, either physically or spiritually. Think of the question at the end of chapter 6, verse 17, and who shall be able to stand? Now, now I believe that chapter 7 of Revelation answers that question. For even in the midst of a display of great wrath, the mercy of God is poured forth, seeking ever to bring men and women to himself. So before the seventh seal is broken and there's silence in heaven for half an hour, God gives us a glimpse to what is happening on earth and he also gives us a glimpse into what is happening in heaven during this whole period. Now I believe this is known as the tribulation period or Daniel's 70th week. I believe, of course, that the church of Jesus Christ will go through the, the tribulation. Now, what you have here in chapter 7, verses 1 to 8, is the saving and sealing of 144,000 Jews from out of the 12 tribes of Israel. These would appear to me, at least, to be some of the first converts in the tribulation period. And that is followed by a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and peoples and tongues that stand before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. Notice what they're saying. Look at chapter 7, verse 10. Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. Here's the record of what they're saying in a loud manner. And notice the reaction of the holy angels. It says in verse 12, saying amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders that was before the throne asked John, what are these that are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? In other words, where did they come from? And, and John replied that this elder already knew the answer. And then the elder gave the answer. He says in verse 14, if you look at it, and he said, these are they which come out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And you've got to think of this great tribulation, a day of great persecution, and many are being martyred for the testimony of Jesus Christ and for the word of God. And after he says that, he says then in verse 15, therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light in them nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of water. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Now I want you to think, not just what's happening on earth, but I want you to think of what is happening in heaven. And maybe we could ask a, a subsequent question what is heaven really like? Remember, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9, But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them 
that love him. And so often that verse is quoted. So often we think that that applies to the glory that awaits the people of God in heaven. Now it is applicable to heaven, don't get me wrong. But strictly speaking, it's not speaking about heaven. Strictly speaking, it's, it's speaking about the deep and hidden spiritual things of God. And Paul mentions that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 10. And he, he, he adds this, that God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit. You see, remember, it's the Spirit of God who guides us into all truth. The truth about the personal work of Jesus Christ. The truth of the, the doctrine of God is revealed in the Holy Scriptures. The, the uh, Spirit guides us into uh, what the Holy Scriptures is really about. The, the Spirit guides us into the communion of saints. The Spirit guides us towards God's great eternity. The Spirit of God reveals to us the glories of heaven. Now think of heaven this morning. Think of being absent from the body and present with the Lord. Think of your arrival there. Get your eyes on those streets of gold. Think of the walls of jasper and sapphire. Think of gates of pearl. Think of the river of God. Think of the tree of life. Remember the hymn writer, and we played it this morning, 594 in our book When my life work is ended And I cross the swelling tide When the bright and glorious morning I shall see I shall know my Redeemer When I reach the other side And his smile Will be the first to welcome me You see, I believe when we think of heaven And enter in there And being present before the Lord We need to get beyond thinking of the streets of gold and walls of jasper and gates of pearl and the tree of life and the river of life. And we need to fix our eyes on the true central focus of heaven, which is none other than the lamb in the midst of the throne. You see, now we see through a glass darkly, but then we're going to see face to face. And when the Lord opened a door into heaven and John was given a glimpse into what's inside, John discovered a throne set in heaven. He discovered one sitting on the throne. The throne is occupied. The throne of absolute sovereignty of the living and the true God. And one of the things that John saw, and we could link it in with Revelation 5 and verse 6, if you look at it there, and I beheld and lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. See, one of the things that John saw that preoccupied John, that filled his mindset was the throne in heaven. In Revelation 7, if you were counting, the throne is mentioned seven times. Here again is the number of perfection. This is the seventh reference to the throne. And where's the lamb? Well, he's in the midst of the throne. And that's what we want to think about this morning for a few minutes. I, I, I want you to think about the centrality of the throne. So, sorry, the centrality of the lamb. Who is the center of attention in heaven? The answer is the Lamb. It's not the streets of gold. It's not the pearly gates. It's not the walls of jasper. It's not even the saints who are already there. It's not the tree of life or the river of life. It's the Lamb. As, as Samuel Rutherford, our Anne Cousins' great hymn, says, the Lamb is all the glory in 
Emmanuel's land. John was taken up with the lamb. So let's think of getting sight of the lamb. Remember Abraham? If we trace the doctrine of the lamb in the Bible, Genesis 22, verse 8, the Lord will provide himself a lamb, he said to Isaac. You've got to think of that word, himself. Not just the Lord will provide a lamb, but the Lord will provide himself. The, the relative pronoun comes into play. It was the Lord Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and Sodom was glad. And when did he see it? He, he, he saw Christ as the lamb coming into the world. Remember Moses and the doctrine of the lamb there brings us to the 10th plague. Exodus chapter 12, 13, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. It was the blood of the lamb. That was the specification uh, uh, for uh, the night of the Passover. The blood of the lamb was slain and sprinkled on the doorpost. We, we think of the book of Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah 53, you've got the, the lamb here uh, being uh, prophesied. Uh, um, we're told there uh, by uh, that, that great evangelistic prophet uh, something wonderful about the Lamb. We're, we're told in uh, Isaiah 53 and verse 7, uh, he was afflicted. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and the sheep before his shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. Remember Peter? Peter made a tremendous statement about the Lamb of God and. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 18 and in the verse 19, he said this, For as much as you know that you're not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. So not only Abraham and Moses and Isaiah and Peter, but think of John. I think of him hearing the words of John the Baptist, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And John, who was taken up with the eternal word, the Logos, he also fixed in, especially in the book of Revelation, on Christ the Lamb. He, he sees him as a, a newly slain lamb, Revelation 5 and 6. He talks here in 6 and 16 about the wrath of the lamb. He, he mentions in 7 and 14 about the blood of the lamb. He, he, he talks in Revelation 13 and 8 about the um, uh, lamb's book of life, the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. He talks about following the Lamb. He talks about the presence of the Lamb. You see, his heart and mind was fixed on the centrality of the Lamb. Let's remember who the Lamb is. The Lamb's God incarnate. You've got to see the Lamb and the person and work of God's Son, Jesus Christ. You've got to try in your mind to trace this fascinating doctrine of the Lamb and see who he is and what he's like and what he's doing and what he has done and will do. You see, he's the center. And let's remember it's only by him and through him that we can approach and draw near to the living and the true God. There's seven references to the word throne in Revelation 1. But the throne in heaven's not divided. The throne in heaven is, is shared, in a sense, between the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Remember, they're, they're co-equal and co-eternal, and they coexist. And, and this is the throne of God's total sovereignty. This is the throne of God's total dominion. 
And, and this throne is set and fixed and it, it's unmovable in heaven. Is it any wonder the psalmist said, The Lord God omnipotent reigneth? He, he, he rules this morning from this throne. His power is unlimited. His power is unrivaled. He, he is eternally holy and perfect and just and good and true. And in the center of that throne, you're going to get sight of the Lamb. Think of the centrality of the Lamb, not only in his sight, but think of the standing of the Lamb. If you look at our text, it says there, for the lamb which is in the midst of the throne. Isn't that tremendous? It says in verse 15, he that sitteth on the throne shall, shall dwell among them. That word dwell is a very precious word. Do you know that that word dwell means tabernacled? Isn't that an allusion to Christ, the Lamb of God, tabernacling in human flesh? Isn't that an allusion to the tabernacle in the wilderness? I, I think of the tabernacle in the wilderness. Remember, it was the dwelling place of God. The tabernacle was erected, young people, in the midst of the camp. The, the tents of all the tribes of the children of Israel were arrayed around it, everyone facing into the tabernacle. And day by day, the children of Israel could see the pillar of cloud. And day, night by night, they could see the pillar of fire. And see, that was a symbol of God's presence. That was a symbol that, that God was in the midst. They were assured the Lord was among them, that the Lord was in the midst. And only when the cloud moved did they move. If you turn over there to the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 40, we read, it says in Verse 34, then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And when the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud were not taken up, then they journeyed not till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day and fire was on it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Exodus 40, verse 34 to 38. It's a tremendous thought. It's amazing because oftentimes you see the children of Israel complained and murmured and they asked the question, is the Lord amongst us or not? For example, in Exodus 17, verse 7, think of that. Is the Lord amongst us or not? And yet the visible presence of the pillar of cloud by day and the visible presence of the uh, pillar of fire by night was there. And they could see that. And yet they asked in a daft sort of a way, Is the Lord amongst us or not? And I was thinking, you know, on earth is not often in our hearts and minds, Is the Lord amongst us or not? See, some people are even asking that about the Free Presbyterian Church at this present time. We can be full of doubt. We can be full of despair. We can be full of depression. Things happen that we can't understand. You, you think of this pandemic situation that we're in. You, you think of war-torn countries. Think of high unemployment that, that's coming. I'm led to believe there's going to be about 5 million people unemployed by this time next year. Financial difficulties for many families and hardship. Sickness, death, 
Maybe at times you feel we're without strength. We just can't go on. It's the Lord amongst us. But we have his presence. We have his promise. And the promise is this. I will never leave you nor forsake you. The promise where two or three are gathered together in my name. There am I in the midst. You see, whether on earth or whether in heaven, he's in the midst. He, he's standing before the throne. He's seated on the throne. He, he's seen there. Oh, we need to get our eyes on that. Do you know this question, is the Lord amongst us or not, could never be said of the saints in heaven. Because they could never ever doubt the presence of the Lord. They, they, they can look to the throne and they can see the lamb in the midst. And maybe you're here this morning and you feel forgotten. Maybe, maybe you feel forsaken. Maybe you feel fearful. And you're wondering, is the Lord really with me in life's journey? Can I know the Lord's presence in a real sense? You can. But could I encourage you not just to think about your life here on earth. Think about life in heaven. Look through that open door and get a glimpse of the midst of the throne and see the Lamb there. Think of the centrality of the Lamb. I want you to think also, think about the care of the Lamb. What does the Lamb do for his children in heaven? Well, if you look at our text, it says, For the Lamb, which is in the midst of the throne, shall feed them. And shall lead them unto living fountains of water. The lamb shall feed them. What does that mean? Well, you see, I believe it, it, it speaks of satisfaction. I believe it speaks of real, true, lasting joy. So you've got to think of saints glorified in heaven. You, you, you've got to think of uh, something that's really spiritual rather than, than physical. It's not that they're sitting down to steak and chips. Because the hunger and thirst that's referred to here in the context is that which is truly spiritual. There's no more hunger and thirst. Meaning there's no more dissatisfaction with things. Why? Because it's the lamb who feeds them. The lamb himself is their food. The lamb himself has become the Christian's meat and the Christian's drink. Notice also it says here, and shall lead them unto living fountains of water. The word lead here is the word shepherd, and shall shepherd them. You think of that lovely statement in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. See, remember he's the good shepherd, John 10. Three times he said, I'm the good shepherd. In um, Hebrews 13 and 20, he's described as that great shepherd of the sheep. In 1 Peter 5 and 4, he's mentioned as the chief shepherd, when the chief shepherd shall appear. You see, Christ is the shepherd of his saints, not only on earth, but in heaven. And Christ is their ultimate satisfaction, and he is the sustenance of all that they need in heaven. And upon him our souls feed. Upon him our souls are led into green pastures and beside still waters. As he mentions here, uh, living fountains of water. Remember in John 6, there was a whole multitude following Christ. And we read there, if you look at the context in John chapter 6, I, 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 um, I think it's in verse 62 or it's verse 63, if you look at it with me. Um, 
A whole multitude went back, we're told, from following after Christ. And what do we read there in, in John 6? Why did they go back from following Christ? The Lord Jesus said, um, verse 60, Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Uh, who can hear it? Well, what did that mean? What was this hard saying about? Well, you see, he had already talked there in verses 53 and verse 54. Let me read it to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of, of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. Now, now what does that mean? Well, of course, it's not literal. Um, the, the Church of Rome was wrong in its interpretation, making it literal. Um, they, they used these texts to teach the doctrine of the um, sacrament of the Mass, which we believe, of course, is a blasphemous fable before God, taken away from the finished uh, work of Christ. Uh, so if it's not literal, what did the Lord Jesus mean? Well, you see, you've got to link it up to the context. This is comparing Scripture with Scripture. In John chapter 6 and verse 39, we read these words. And this is the Father's will which have sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. Well, we'll link up the words last day with what you read there and the words that you read in verse 54. And this is the will of him that did send me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So seeing the Son and believing in him is equated uh, with the whole concept of feeding on his flesh and drinking on his blood. It, it means to be in union and, and fellowship and having communion with him. So you remember sometimes we sing now, none but Christ can satisfy. Where's true love? It's in Christ. Where is life? It's in Christ. Where's lasting joy? It's found in Christ. Now, we've got to ask ourselves, is that true? You see, on earth, we should ask ourselves the question, does Jesus Christ completely satisfy me? Where, where nothing else matters. No, nothing materially, nothing financially. Whether it's house or money or clothes or cars or holidays or families or tastes or music, that, that we're fully satisfied with Christ. We're fully sustained by Christ. We're fully strengthened by Christ so, so that nothing else matters. You see, Christ constantly satisfies his children. If you, if you look with me at Revelation 7, in the context here, it says here in verse 15, Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. Think of those words, day and night. It isn't, it, it, the thought is here that he constantly and continually and, and carefully satisfies his, his people. You know down here if you're hungry and you eat and are full and then over time you get hunger again, that's true physically. But, but the Lord Jesus said, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. And the word filled means truly satisfied. He not only satisfies us constantly and continually and carefully, but he, he satisfies us completely. Notice the words here in verse 16. 
they shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore, neither shall the sun light in them, nor any heat. You see, you've got to think here of the imagery. Think of sunburn. Think of the sun causing pain and suffering when you're burnt by its rays. Think of it being too warm and you want to peel off or dip into some pool. And, you know, the Bible actually tells us here in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 16, if you look at it in verses 7 and verse 8, it talks about a day when this earth is going to be scorched by the heat of the sun. It says in Revelation 16, verse 8, And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And them were scorched with great heat, and blasphemed the name of God, which had power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him the glory. You see, in heaven, there's none of that. In heaven, there's no more suffering. There's no more pain. Because remember, the former things have, have passed away. Here's the care of the lamb. I want you to think very quickly, and it will be quickly. I want you to think of the children of the lamb. Because it says, uh, for the lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and lead them. So, So think of the word them. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Who are they? They are they that serve him. Night and day. They are they that are before the throne. So they assemble before him. It's a great assembly. It's a gathered assembly. It's a glad assembly. They're attired before him. Their their robes are washed in the blood of the Lamb. They're they're part of the bride of Christ. And uh, Revelation 19 and 8 talks about the bride has made herself ready. And you think of a bride with a wedding dress. And and everybody's saying as she comes down the aisle, oh, she looks gorgeous. And what are they looking at? They're they're looking at the dress. And and that's the thought here. They, they, They attire before him. Is, is their robes are made white and washed in the blood of the Lamb. Is that true of you this morning? Think of their adoration before him. Um, they're loud in their praise. That Their language is united. It's one voice. Salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. Think of their activity before him. They serve him. And how do they do it? They do it tirelessly. They do it timelessly, day and night. It's tireless because there's no hunger or thirst. They never are weak. There's no burnout. They do it triumphantly. They're they're triumphant because there's no enemy present. There's no hindrances now. There's no disagreement. There's no discouragement. So they serve him with gladness and they serve him with joy. And of course, it's in a manner that they're not giving up. Here we feel like quitting. Here, here we feel despondent. Here we wonder, is it worthwhile to carry on being a Christian and carry on Christian witness and worship? Well, the answer is yes. Because here's the children of the Lamb. And one day we'll be like them. We'll be assembled before him. And we'll be attired as they are attired, robes washed in the blood of the Lamb. And we will join in this chorus of adoration. It will be loud. It will be the same language. Salvation belongs unto our God. And here's our activity in heaven. We will serve him there. And we'll do it timelessly and tirelessly and triumphantly. We've thought about the centrality of the Lamb. We've thought about the care of the lamb, what he does for us. He, he feeds us and he leads us. We've thought about the children of the lamb. Let's think about the comfort of the lamb. 
It says here, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. We're, we're conscious of tears on earth. Many situations reduces sickness, death, tragedy. Sometimes there'll be tears of joy if babies born, tears at a wedding. Um, but we're not talking about tears on earth here. It's tears in heaven. It's tears before the throne. It's tears in the very presence of the Lamb. So I want you to think of the saints here. You see, the scene is in heaven now. I've told you what is happening on earth. But we've also got a glimpse into what's happening in heaven. The Lamb's in the center. They're assembled before him. They're attired with the, the, the fine linen, the, the white and clean linen, which is the righteousness of the saints. They're, they're praising and adoring him. They're, they're, they're active in service. They're serving him. But why are they crying? Why the tears? Is it not because they've been ushered into his presence? You think of the comfort of the Lamb and God shall wipe away all tears before their eyes. I say this in closing. Whenever we get to heaven and we stand before the Lamb among this great multitude of people and we're glad to be there Dressed in this attire, adoring him, being active in this manner of serving him. Would we not all wish that we'd given him more? Would we not all wish that we'd done something more for God with our, our lives, which is short because time is short? Would we not wish that we hadn't missed this opportunity or that opportunity? Would we not be thinking about those that are not with us? Oh, we're not sort of way think, well, I wish I hadn't lived that way. I wish I hadn't done that thing. I wish I'd, I'd showed a, a total commitment to, to the Lord and, and, and his work and witness. I, I wish I hadn't been so carnal in that area. I wish I hadn't been so selfish in that area. See, remember the Bible says that every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Remember in that day the books will be opened and will be judged out of the books of those things that we've done in the earth, whether good or bad. And it's my contention this morning that we'll all probably be crying. Because when we see the lamb, the nail prints in his hands, the head where the crown of thorns crushed in upon it, the open wound in his side, the piercing of his feet, is it any wonder we'll be reduced to tears? Now these can be tears of joy. They may be tears of sadness. I, I don't know. Tears of regret. But here's the thought. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And how does he do that? Well he doesn't do it independently of the lamb. It's done in and through the lamb. Can you see the Lord taking the handkerchief out? And wiping away our tears. The lamb in the midst of the throne. He is central. Let's get sight of him. Can you see him standing there today? Can you get a sight of his care? If he cares for us now. What 
going to be like in heaven? Can you see yourself as a, a child of the Lamb? And can you see his comfort? I pray the Lord will take these few thoughts and bless them to 